Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Sarah. This is Jenna. And now... We are getting candid with Charlie Kerr from Hotel Mira. The band released their fourth studio album, I Am Not Myself, at the end of 2023, and the album explores ideas of mental health, fame, and identity living throughout the pandemic. The Canadian Quartet embarks on their biggest headlining tour to date across their home country this February. So we're getting candid with Charlie from Hotel Mira about how they released a record that gained huge success right before COVID and how Charlie turned to TikTok to maintain that momentum, as well as dealing with TikTok virality and being super accessible online. And on top of that, a topic that we are all passionate about, how fans are a reflection of the artists that they support and what that means. So now let's go get candid with Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Welcome to the show. Hi. So big year for Hotel Mira. You guys recently released an album, but also you are literally days away from going out on tour across Canada, doing your biggest headline tour across Canada. What does it feel like for you guys as someone who's been like having a career for 10 years doing music to be able to do a tour like this? Sort of unbelievable. And and the truth is, is like, it's been longer than... Uh, 10 years yeah. like I, I've really done this since I was able to I, I played my first professional gig at 11 and with with really low yeah I played in a Beatles cover band <laughs> nice 11 years old so you know the shtick was that I was like cute and sang Beatles songs because <laughs> uh, I, I was 11 so there, there was something just exciting about that but I think at the time I was like man I, I must be really like good you know and I wasn't but I stuck with it and I've, I've always been an ambitious person, but certainly from the beginning, I really just wanted to be cool to the other local bands. Like I, I grew up in this scene that was pretty vibrant and, and cool of, of, of teenagers making hardcore music and indie rock music and even, you know, hip hop and R&B. Like there was an interesting thing going on. And I just wanted to be cool to those cats. <laughs> and then that didn't really happen. But then we sort of found our own thing as it went. So quite honestly, it's surreal and like, it's so corny, but yeah, it's a bit of a dream, you know, um, to sort of em- embark on something like this and, and then get to do it with my friends who are all uh, lifelong musicians and sort yeah. of understand how lucky and, and um, fortunate we are and how unlikely this is like we all went to australia together Mm. a few months ago you know in in this same year that we did school night with tyson ritter's new band and and then opened for one of my favorite bands like last year that you know like sorry this is a bit of a tangent (laughs) but i had a moment there's a band called billy talent sort of in the alt emo scene and they were like my favorite band growing up and and we got to open for them in the Pacific Coliseum, uh, which is a 10,000-seater mm-hmm. in uh, in Vancouver. And what was so cool about that was, like, 10 years prior to that, I was in the nosebleeds at the same venue watching that oh, band. Wow. Whoa. I love That's that. That's cool. Which, 
it took 10 years for me to, you know, step wow. whatever, 500 steps to get to the stage, but I did <laughs> yeah. it. Ooh, that's like, I kind of have chills right now. Cause it's one of those things where like when you're a teenager, when you're that age and it's like, what's your biggest dream. And it's like, sometimes we all have like these really crazy dreams. And I feel like obviously being a musician is not like a traditional career path. Like there's no set ladder of like you do this and this and this, and then you get to play that venue, you know? And so for a lot of people having a dream like that, like feels like a dream and it's something that not a lot of people pursue. And it's like, here you are proof that like, if you pursue it, like this is where you could be in 10 years. It really is that thing. And, and I've, I've tanked as well. I've, I've put out records that people didn't like, and I've, I've become quite irrelevant and just had to, and then put out something that people uh, really did connect to. And I've enjoyed it and found purpose in it no matter what. And yeah. I think that that is sort of the secret sauce. If you ask any artist, it's so unlikely. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a natural talent for any of this shit. I just like it. <laughs> Hard work and believing in yourself and having the dream. <laughs> that believing in yourself thing is dodgy, but. It's uh, like, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying with her. I must, I must, I must on some yeah. level. I must on some level believe in myself, yeah. Even, yeah. even with all the sarcasm and yeah, I guess so. So you released an album called Perfectionism in February of 2020, and that had a lot of success leading up to and during its release. And then obviously COVID happened and, you know, it kind of threw everybody through a loop. But you started utilizing TikTok to stay in front of your audience, like following that success of the album. Did you feel like TikTok was kind of like a silver lining to stay connected to listeners and reach new listeners while we didn't have any access to live music? A hundred percent. That's a great way to put it. Like all social media, it's a tool that can be used for good or evil. And for us, it was this really cool thing where I couldn't perform live and I missed that so much but um doing the TikTok lives it was like digital busking like I used to busk so people would people would walk by and they'd stay for a song or they'd stay for 10 seconds and you try and catch people's ear and when the TikTok live feature first came out it would be like hundreds of people would would come by Mm. our lives and you know I'd be I'd be sitting there playing our songs acoustically and we got a lot of fans from from doing that and and that sort of digital busking model was was really fun and and satisfying for me and yeah I I was doing IG lives as well just because it was the closest thing I could find to uh to performing for Mm. an audience yeah I mean I feel like that like the immediate shutdown that that happened like with COVID and everything was just so uncertain for everyone. Like for musicians, it's like, am I going to have a career? And like outside of music, it's like literally what is happening? Are we okay? Are we going to be okay? Like nobody knows what to do with themselves. We're like, what do you mean we have to stay inside? And I feel like everyone was like craving connection and TikTok happened to be this tool that like so many people were able to like then go to to connect when we couldn't like physically be together. Totally. And it was this bizarre thing as well, where I don't know if I would have made a TikTok if I was touring uh, perfectionism and if it had all gone in a different direction and we sort of had the year we thought we were going to have and and played the tour that I booked and stuff. I don't know. I, I, I think there's an angle to look at things where we were really hard done by, by the fact that we put out a record February 2020. 
But there's an other, there's another angle where you're like, oh, but then maybe I wouldn't have done TikTok. And then also that record, according to the people who love it, is this cool intersection of catchy music and then like truly dark, lonely thoughts mm-hmm. and and feelings that like uh, people felt uplifted or, or seen through this very like yeah. uncertain time. Like the joke that I like to make is like the end of the world needed to be happening for my music to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a dark joke. <laughs> and yeah I, like, I don't know about y'all but like I was watching The Good Place mm-hmm. and like sort of getting comfortable with like death and the idea that like no one was going to that I wasn't going to get to do my job anymore mm-hmm. and, and that it was all sort of coming to an end that that was the beginning of my of my lockdown <laughs> watching, watching The Good Place and, and trying to get comfortable with things coming to an end so I'm glad to <laughs> Okay, so in thinking of, you mentioned like, you know, you've had a long career of pursuing being a musician and like sometimes that's resonated with people and other times it hasn't. And I think, you know, as you're mentioning, like to put out a record in February 2020 to have no idea, obviously no idea what was going to be coming in the future, but for that record to be very successful, I'm sure there's like a bit of, you know, feeling of loss of what if this happened? What if this happened? Like you're mentioning, do you feel like there was a pressure for you to mirror the success of that record with then creating a presence online? Yeah, I think the two sort of went hand in hand. I think I sort of had a boost of confidence and a pep in my step. And I remember what I liked so much about TikTok when I first got on it was there were so many people being unabashedly confident Mm. with their art there was no sort of self-deprecating caption of i'm thinking about pizza for your hot girl photo it was just like i'm hot and like (laughs) the comments agree with Mm -hmm. you or not but there was some level of like putting yourself out there and i was just like oh my god like this is so exciting and so i got caught up in that and and sort of the combination of like no one I knew followed mm-hmm. me. Yeah, you can kind of invent yourself to be whoever you want to be because there's no like social pressure of like, oh, but my friends follow me here. And that was that was incredible freedom and the combination of this record people liked and me being able to sort of carry myself in this elevated way just led led to some pretty amazing mm-hmm. stuff. TikTok is interesting and the internet is interesting in that regard of kind of like you can enter a place where you have the idea of like nobody knows who I am. I'm going to present like the best version of myself or like this curated version of myself, I guess. And so I wonder because like we talk a lot on the podcast about like this idea of like a persona and an online persona and like kind of becoming like stepping into a character, so to speak. But I feel like from speaking to you like online and all that sort of stuff, like it doesn't ever seem like you're putting on a show. So like, was it weird to you to like see other artists like on the app where it felt like a more contrived? Yeah. Yeah. It was was such a, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I, I I would have conversations with people sort of behind the scenes who were like bigger Mm -hmm. on TikTok as musicians. And, you know, they'd sort of be pulling the stunts of like the TikTok that blew up would be like showing my ex the song I wrote mm-hmm. about him. And like it's them in a car and yeah. they're yes. crying or whatever. We've all seen and it. So, 
I met up with my friend and I was like, man, that was very cool. Uh, that was really brave. I can't believe your ex agreed to that. And she was like, it's not my ex. Like, that was a lie. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> and I, I trip out about this on, on social media all the time. It's like, I'm an entertainer. I have a better look behind the curtain than yeah. anyone. Yeah. And I fall for things constantly. Yeah. So I, I feel bad for the public, honestly, without media literacy, just being given sort of product after product with angle after angle that is falsified, especially when, when mostly what people desire on mass is authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. There definitely is like that crave for authenticity and you see it in fans a lot where like they are actively like online like asking these artists to like show who they are and like when you get taste of it I think like remembering back to when Instagram like introduced Instagram stories and everybody's like oh my god like we're gonna get like a look in to our favorite artists lives and it still was very kind of like curated and then for a little bit I think that there was the guys on TikTok also where it wasn't as curated but now I think people are becoming more aware of it. And it's been interesting to watch like the shift from like 2020 TikTok to like now 2024 TikTok and just people being so much more aware that like, oh, you didn't actually just write the song of summer in your car. Like that didn't actually just happen. Yeah. And that's a thing about TikTok that is frustrating and, and strange is a strategy presents itself it works and then overnight everybody's sort of doing it in this way that's right. like sort of saturated and again gets further away from the music because i do think that there's there's truth to like an almost democratized shakeup of the industry happen with with tiktok but i don't know if that moment's like really over it's still an amazing yeah. tool for us and and some other artists, I I still would recommend most people do it. But yeah, sort of, it's not yeah. what it was. And I mean, like with being that accessible online as well, and like doing like TikTok lives and like that kind of thing, where like people who might be outside your target demographic stumbling across your music, which I feel like never really happened that often prior to TikTok. It's like usually music was found by the people who are supposed to find meant it. to find yeah. it. Yeah. Like, has it been daunting at all to be like seen and perceived by these people who like probably wouldn't normally come across your music? I sort of think Hotel Mira is for everyone. I love pop music and people, if, if they want to be insulting about what we do they're allowed mm -hmm. to be um <laughs> and um i just want to get the music out to the people who want to hear it so or or who mm -hmm. need to hear it on sort of a more urgent thing because i know especially when you look at the community of our fans and what they are doing and how important it is to them that that was a big realization i had sort of like probably halfway through last year where i was like i think what's special about this band is the mm. fans yeah I don't really think it's the individuals in the band or the or the songs or the musicianship. I think it is how beautifully inclusive and creative and the the fans are to each other and and yeah. Yeah. I really like this idea of talking about fans because I saw another interview you did where you said that you felt like fan bases reflect back on the artists, like both as musicians and as people. And I feel like, you know, you even bringing up this now, it's 
clear that like this is something that you care about. Was this idea something that you kind of always had in the back of your minds, like growing up, you being a fan of an artist, or is this something you realized more recently? That's a good question. I think on some level, I've just always felt like a bit of an outcast or an alien or an underdog. Like I was a very lonely, shy kid and and music was my way of connecting with people. And I've always sort of related to people who feel like they've like crash landed on this planet. So I think that comes out in the music and then therefore is sort of reflected in in the fan base it's it's people who are really um i think rooting for each other and especially the marginalized people for for sort of whatever reason like yeah there should just be room for everyone in in whatever you're doing and i don't know maybe maybe it's because like my moral compass is important Mm. to me and and sort of more important to me than success in entertainment and sometimes that's gotten me in trouble but I'd rather have everything blow up because of something I believed in yeah and I think people maybe pick Mm. up on that yeah I mean well I I mean I would say yes because like we've talked to quite a few artists now who they'll say something about like oh I was writing like a metaphor for something that I was feeling deeply and I didn't explicitly say it and then fans will come up to me and be like, I can't believe you wrote about XYZ. And they're like, how did you know I wrote about XYZ? I didn't explicitly say it. And so I think it's this thing of like, it's a subconscious and like us just connecting as humans and like through art and through expression of being able to tell like deep down, like what's going on and like, is this person doing it for the right intentions? And like, like you said, like always being guided at the end of the day by like you purely just loving music. And I think that's something that comes across in the music and comes across on a platform like TikTok. And if I can sort of get on my soapbox for a moment, please go ahead. There's a bit of a, um, a moral bankruptcy to the way that mental illnesses and sort of mental health issues and, and struggles are kind of not quite like almost taken advantage of. And it's, it's almost trendy. Like Mm. people know that, things are so difficult and and people are in in so much pain that you know there's definitely artists who know that and just see dollar signs and so they put out their songs that sort of touch on that in this way that you know doesn't go all that deep and maybe they don't even mean it and i think that there's a potential to make things worse by doing that I don't know exactly how to put it but I guess it goes back to authenticity and and sort of just the smell check of like people being like yeah they're singing about that too but for some reason I don't buy it yeah a hundred percent and I mean like we've had a couple episodes of the podcast where we've talked about like the stigma around like male mental health and like the focus on that and just like in general like talking about your mental health or therapy has like not been something that's been normalized until sort of the last decade more so the last like five seven years now at this point but like I do think for a while there it's like 
especially in in the world of emo and like pop punk where it's like okay like this is emotional music it's for sad people whatever like they know who is who is listening to that music but that doesn't necessarily mean that they personally get it and i think like the radar for knowing like what's legitimate and what isn't has like gotten a lot better because people have become more comfortable speaking about mental health and their struggles with it but there definitely are still people out there who are just like oh i'm gonna use this to like make myself popular i mean one of the things that you and I connected with on TikTok was that guy, that musician in his car and is making a song about mental health that like felt like he's never under doesn't know what mental health means. And so I think like, again, it's that thing of being able to tell online who's putting on a front and who actually like gets it. And like the fans know because the fans are paying attention. It's heartbreaking to just think of you know, a kid who doesn't have that much money to begin with, who is going through so much shitty stuff in their lives and someone sort of comes along and like plays into that and then sort of, yeah, is is only really doing it for monetary reasons. Yeah, there's definitely a spiraling effect there. But switching up a little bit, as we've been talking about, you guys have put out a lot of music over the past decade or so. Do you ever like ask yourself or have these moments kind of like realizing like why, why success now rather than like another point in your career? Oh, that's a great question. I'd like to think because it's because it's sort of gotten better over time and I, I know what I'm doing now more in the 10,000 hours and the mm-hmm. right uh, and the right lineup. But uh, it, it could be completely random. Yeah. I just know that sort of the only like through line for anyone who is successful is they didn't yeah. quit. Do you feel like looking back now, you're more prepared in 2024 for like these kind of tours and this kind of success than you might have been in 2020 when perfectionism had its moment yeah maybe there was aspects of perfectionism success that were like a head screw like a real mind screw that were really difficult for me but because there was so many more important things going Mm -hmm. on in the world like nobody was talking to me about like the band's Mm -hmm. success so I feel like I sort of lucked out on getting to do some of this adjusting and acclimating Mm. to a different life in this pretty quiet way and then when things sort of like ramped back up again I sort of understood some of the sacrifices that I was going to have to make and some interesting stuff about my privacy being sort of jeopardized or, or what have you, or, or as you said, like being, being perceived, which is not like a concept I sort of thought too much yeah. about. I, I was always sort of like, I want to, I want to make tunes. I want to be huge. I want to prove people wrong. And it's like, yeah, I mean, some days the bigger this thing gets, the more I see the value of privacy. The privacy idea is really interesting. And I just want to touch on that for a second, because I feel like, again, just with the social media climate that it is, it it seems like people stopped believing or understanding what a private life even is, or how to juggle being a private person when you're not like the biggest celebrity in the world. Because celebrity, yeah, because like when you think about it, it's like, okay, Beyonce is allowed to have a private life. Harry Styles is allowed to have a private life. But anybody who's like 
smaller than that. It's like everybody's wanting pieces of them. I mean, also just kind of building off of this idea, Sarah, is like, I feel like there's this in-between phase of like artists where you're like fans almost expect you to give up pieces of yourself mm. in order to like stay top of mind or just like in general, just be something that is consumed. Yeah, there's definitely that in-between place where, you know, people comment unhinged things and you see it. And (laughs) and sort of be in that liminal space where you're seeing it and it affects you and they think, you know, they're way too busy. They're way too Mm. successful to see a little comment like this. And it's back and forth because when you're doing so much to sort of like build your platform, there definitely is that sort of liminal space where people don't really know where to put you in terms of the access that they should have to you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, that's just like the whole rabbit hole of like parasocial relationships and how those have shifted and changed yeah. so much with the world of online because they were already bad before you had this kind of access. And now it's even crazier. And I'm sure for you also in doing like the TikTok lives and stuff, it's like, you're so accessible. So it must, it must be, like, it must be like, I can only imagine like, Because I've come to like a couple of them to like watch and like we've chatted while you've been doing it. But it's like it's so interesting just seeing the people who like show up and like you seem to like know usernames and like all that sort of stuff. It's like the access must be a lot. For the most part, it's it's really cool and and people are boundaried and and rad and 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 sometimes they're not. You know, that's pretty much where I land with that. The the juice is worth the squeeze. You know, people sort of asking me really private things or or not letting up when I sort of give a cheeky non-answer sometimes makes me feel like I have my my back against mm. the wall. That that that's that's not a good feeling. Yeah. yeah. No, that must be a lot to deal yeah. with. So I'm just gonna <laughs> shift away from this for a sec because I want to talk about okay. uh, your album that came out in September called "I Am Not Myself." It took a step in a new direction from your previous r- releases, but you and I have talked about that we have a shared favorite song in the album in "Vampire," which I think is like a very yeah. cool song. But what about it in particular as a song stood apart from the rest of the album for you personally? The conception of it to begin with was like, I wrote this really weird, uh, in my head, I was like, I wrote this really weird, like sort of David Byrne Pixies, like strange. And then I thought to myself, like, I think I got to take this to my friend, Steve from Hot Hot Heat to produce Mm -hmm. it. And I'd written about half the song. And he really dug it. So we started working on it. And the sort of mo with that song was just like we're making this one for us and like you know we make all our music for us but this one in particular we were like this is going to be a real b-side because we're making so many decisions just sort of for the sake of being unpredictable and off the wall and and really letting our uh freak flags fly (laughs) and then just so much we got to do that people wouldn't necessarily expect of us. And and when those songs take off, there's just, there's a whole nother level to, to the whole thing. I mean, I imagine a scenario like that feels quite liberating because it's like, you're like, yeah. okay, this isn't going to be the main feature of the album, but this is something that like is special to me. And I just want to mess around and like see what could possibly come of this. And so then to like get 
you know, good feedback back from listeners. I'm sure that is like validating and cool in a way. And to go into something with zero compromise and then be um, praised for it is such a rare, amazing feeling for any artist, I think. And then I just, I really like the lyrics. We made it in such a um, sort of mad scientist 4am kind of way where we were using, you know, drum machines and and screaming and it didn't have a melody for the chorus for a long time so the actual like sweet predictable lonely every time that you're holding out you don't need to act holy if you want to control me now like that chunk was written at the very last minute oh wow (laughs) so the hook was like one of the last things we figured out because it had that other part already written that we all thought was the chorus which is the my little molotov chunk and then the hey vampire thing was was sort of a last minute addition too so it it was just very different the way a lot of the songs we've written have been uh created because usually i i have almost the full song Mm -hmm. written when we start recording interesting and that one was like way more kind of collaborative and unpredictable and yeah just sort of got everybody out of there comfort zone and because of that I was writing lyrics on the fly Mm. and I didn't really understand if they were necessarily gonna work I usually take so much painstaking time on the lyrics and this one it was a lot of things that I was just coming up with on the spot and it was so cool to take a step away and then see how much in my subconscious was worth Mm. keeping right like the metaphor of the vampire and, and the fact that in in the mythology of vampires you need to be invited in so then the chorus is just leave the door unlocked and then like i didn't i didn't put together that that was sort of like a little vampire reference and then the you don't need to act holy if you want to control me now like same Mm -hmm. thing i I didn't really put together that i was like still playing into that same theme and then and then i really love the she despises indie rock (laughs) line and sort of this uh this character i created who in the context of the album like is such a such an ego death Mm. of a character like this person i'm singing about could not give a single (laughs) f that i sing for hotel mira you know they like me for such different reasons and sort of the shadow work of that i think is really interesting in the context of the album and um and then like on another level it's halloween's my favorite holiday so it's really cool to have written something sort of yeah spooky that yeah. maybe end up in the same playlist as the monster Mac. <laughs> yeah the writing process that you're explaining for that song sounds so interesting and like obviously something that was exciting and different for you do you think that you would ever write a song like that again or do you feel like that was maybe a little bit overwhelming to like be in a room where you're in a bit a less control than you normally would be no i dig it like i think as of late just keeping it interesting and and challenging oneself and and learning what it means to collaborate feels like the next sort of frontier for what uh 
interests me about like making records after you know 10 years yeah so to wrap all of this up in a nice little bow our last question is something we like to ask everyone the ethos of yeah. name three songs is to empower fangirls and we think it's important to be a critical consumer and also celebrate the things that we love unapologetically so charlie what are you a fangirl of anything to do with the arts right like i love movies and television and and literature and and music and plays and i think it's so important to sort of connect to your inner nerd and be be excited about things i'm really pumped that sort of the fangirls of yesterday are sort of the music executives of Mm. today and i think it speaks to a higher quality of everything that like the most passionate people are the ones in the driver's seat going forward. Like my old manager was like a major One Direction Stan Tumblr girly. <laughs> and she just had the best ideas possible because she knew the best ways to sort of interact with yeah. fans and to sort of, you know, create a breadcrumb trailer or whatever you want to call it. And yeah, there's this interesting thing where like, being unabashedly passionate is it's not for the faint of heart but it's such a better life yeah i think that's a beautiful note to end on being unabashedly passionate about something is a better way of life so thank you charlie for joining us today oh it's my absolute pleasure It's interesting talking to someone like Charlie because he's clearly, he's like both had like a 10 year, 10 plus year career as a musician and also thinks deeply about TikTok and like the effects of TikTok on us. So it's kind of funny talking to someone who's like thought as deeply about this as like we have. Because like whenever we do these interviews and we talk about social media and all that, I feel like everybody has a very similar outlook on it. Um, And it's a very like artist central a very artist-centered thought process on like what social media is and what it means and all that stuff. Whereas Charlie, similarly to us, is like both a consumer and a user, like a, like a person who creates videos and puts themselves out there to be perceived online. And I don't know, it's just like it's so cool to get to talk to somebody who kind of understands both sides. So like the way we think about it, but also the way that artists think about it. And it's like I just feel like that never happens. I feel like on top of all that, on top of being a musician, on top of being, you know, having experience as being a TikTok creator, he's also like thought deeply about topics that relate to like feminism and misogyny Mm -hmm. and like men being really weird in the music industry. And it's just interesting that he's like deep in thought with all of these things. And it's so funny that so many of these topics overlap with like what we're already doing but he's so intuitive about it. So I think all in all, it just made for like a really great conversation. Yeah, And I think it's just like really incredible when it's like, you're talking to an artist who clearly has just thought about this because they care about it and are passionate about it. And it's not because somebody was like, you should think about this. He was like, I've already been thinking about it. Why why are you telling me that I should think (laughs) about it? And like, we, like we mentioned in the interview, like that, was initially like why I was drawn to him as an artist like on TikTok because I was like he's talking about stuff that I've never seen an artist just like welcome to to, like welcome people to ask about and comment on and like respond to and he just was like putting it out there and like 
if you don't want anything to do with this, then don't listen to my band. It's not for you. And I'm like, I love that. Please keep up that energy forever. Absolutely. So thanks for getting candid with us and Hotel Mira. This has been Sarah and Jenna from Name Three Songs. And if you want to get your pop culture fix, you can listen to new episodes of Name Three Songs podcast every Wednesday. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.